Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie, Jamie and, and Brian. Terrible. Yay! That's <laughs> I <laughs> I'm Eon. Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. Lot has given me the reins tonight. <laughs> for this episode called The Reigns of Castamir. Right right now she's busy skinning a turkey with her teeth right now. Oh, so God, I'm just your mod is. tonight. I bet she is. Yeah. Yes. On tonight's panel, in this corner, we have Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky, Chickren on Tumblr. In this corner, we have YD. Hi, this is YD. Uh, you can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. In this corner, we have Guile. I am Guile, Guile and Subterfuge on Tumblr. And last but not least, we have a very special guest, Daphne. Hi, I'm Daphne, and you can find me at Sickest Kids on Tumblr. Yay. All right, thank you so much for guesting tonight. Welcome this back. special episode. It's probably one of the yeah, most controversial episodes in Game of Thrones TV history, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, like TV yeah. history, probably, no. right? Yeah. TV history, yeah. yeah. Definitely one of the most infamous. <sighs> oh, yeah. I mean, people filmed show watchers watching their reactions. I mean, to which crazy. I say thank you yeah, right. <laughs> so much for screwing your friends no. like that. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did so All too right. with my mom. Did? Oh god! She didn't have any reaction. She enjoyed oh, no. it. She's like, oh, I like Captain. That's bad. I was like, <laughs> she's a stoneheart. So, so disappointed. <laughs> All right. So tonight's um, episode is the Reigns of Castamere. It's episode nine of season. I would just like to start out by throwing a blanket trigger warning for. Game of Thrones and of course violence this episode depicts violence towards people and animals so if any of this bothers you you might want to tune out it bothers me you might not watch Game of Thrones ever (laughs) (laughs) right are you lost (laughs) right (laughs) okay you all y'all want to start let's get this going okay let's do it okay we open with Rob and Catelyn Rob is sharing his plans for taking Casterly Rock from Tywin Lannister with Catelyn. He's keen on seeking her advice now since he's he's apparently hasn't listened to her since like season one. At least. At least that uh, long. Yeah, at least season one. And um, he's really banking on the phrase joining his side. Do you think they're going to go for this? I think so. I've got a good feeling. Sounds like a good plan, right? I think like Kat even has a. I think Cat even seems concerned a little bit, but I mean, she advises him, you yeah. know, just to show the Lannisters what it feels like to lose what they love. Yeah, I'm like, time he goes to Catelyn and she gives him some exactly. Plus, I mean, like, show them how it feels to lose what they love. Yes, a plan based on revenge and needing Maldefray's help is a really solid plan. Yeah. To be fair, like, what were their options? Yeah, I'm just gonna say that I don't think they had any better solution 
Well, they could have retreated back to the north. That actually would have been the best possible. Well, move. except the Ironborn, or they the they'd have to get through the twins and the Ironborn hold it. So. Well, I mean, you can go around the twins. It's just the twins are by far the fastest route. Um, so they could have they could have gone around Walder, and I mean, I think you could have de- dealt with the Ironborn when he got north. I mean, you're talking about a Stark in oh, the yeah, north trying to north. rally people, right? So, I mean, the best thing yeah. he could have done would be to return north and give up this whole idea of beating the Lannisters or, or anything like that. Yeah. And then what happens to Sansa? Sansa's well, fucked either way. A, so, she enjoys a yeah, long, happy life with Tyrion. <laughs> oh, poor Sansa. Hey, could Can I just say I want that chess set? That's pretty sweet. Oh, I love I know, that. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I, I actually was thinking when I was watching, I was like, I would love a set like that. I wonder if they make yes. them. I'm sure they do. I would just be having anyone... one of the lion heads. That would be yeah. Uh, <laughs> just the head? Yeah. Just the head. I thought the opening credits were interesting because, and I never caught this before, that there are no Lannisters in this episode. There are no Lannisters in this episode. Only ones who send their regards from afar. <laughs> yep. Mm. <laughs> All right, so next they arrive at the twins. We meet Water and his really huge Frey family. They are given bread and salt, and Rob meets all of Frey's daughters and granddaughters, and he makes a public apology for breaking his promise to marry one of them, and f- apology and offers the Starks and his men his hospitality. Oh God. Okay, so I have to ask who who watched this without having read the books? Oh, I did. Yeah. Okay. Did you know what the bread and salt thing was? I mean, like, they really Mm. kind of focused on it there. I mean, like, would you know if you hadn't read the books? No. No, I didn't know what it was. Just a random thing they threw in? (laughs) Yeah. I also have to say that it's a huge tub of salt and a very small tub of bread. Right? Why are they equal (laughs) size? (laughs) I'll say that in honor of tonight's episode, someone had a box of giant warm pretzels at work, and I, I broke off a piece and had some today. Only right. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> All right. Um, shall we go to the next scene? Yeah, I sure. think we are. We're going. We're going to Gal's favorite favorite character now. It's oh, Danny Ariston. We're we're outside of Yunkai right now, <laughs> and Dario is advising Danny and Jorah on how to attack the city of Yunkai, and he plans on using a lightly defended back gate. A, with a small group where a small group can inf- infiltrate the city and open the gates for the rest of the army to invade. And Jura seems skeptical and quite jealous. But Grey Worm seems to dig the plan, so they plan on making their while Sir Barristan protects Danny. I love that as Dario is talking, you can kind of see Danny mentally checking off all the tick boxes like has no interest oh, yeah. in slaves check makes love not war check <laughs> check <laughs> i love that jorah's all like butthurt about oh, about dario yeah. and then he turns around oh, and does God. the exact same thing to barristan and is all i know standing, right oh, everyone has their place huge dick measuring contest between these guys it's ridiculous except for of course great worm <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, Grey Worm, Grey Worm just silently stays out of those. <laughs> he knows yeah. he's got no horse in that race. It's funny with the Jorah and Barristan little scene because you're like, is this supposed to be because Barristan's older? Because it's like with the casting that they did. Totally is. These guys look like they're basically the same age. And you're like, what's your point <laughs> yeah, here? I thought, Jorah, I thought Jorah was Barristan's father. 
I can see it. No, okay, but I gotta say, so was this the show foreshadowing that we were eventually gonna get 20 good men? I mean, like, I had kind of forgotten about this little three man sortie. Yeah. Yeah, really. Oh, wow. (laughs) I I don't think so. I think it's just they ran out of money. Yeah, Yeah, really. And also, like, all of I feel like there really needs to be some investigative reporting about, like, the unsullied declining performance. Like, yeah. it's kind of like, I'm sorry, it's kind of like the Seattle Seahawks. Like, they were awesome, and now they're like, <laughs> what happened? Is there some, like, infighting in the unsullied? Like, what's going on? Contract disputes? I don't know. Couldn't we just focus on Grey Worm himself? Why are they even in the fight? Yeah, that would be nice. Uh, you think it's like they? Grey Worm's leadership style? Like we should no, fire his him fighting as, um, style. I mean, he's so much better here. I mean, just Grey Worm alone yeah, is kind of your case right. study. That's, I mean, that's God. what I'm saying. Like, yeah, there was such a. Dec- that's what I'm saying. But they suck now. Like he was awesome in season mm-hmm. three. In season five, he's terrible. Is it? I mean, I don't think you can like account for all of it because they're in tighter quarters now. It's just because yeah. then you know Danny doesn't train them. They've gotten fat and lazy. Like <laughs> they must have gotten like super fat and lazy. <laughs> They're more keen on cuddling, cuddling prostitutes now than they are fighting now. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, aren't we all? Well, yeah, I was going to say, what would yep. you prefer? Well, not Dario. He's not in it for the whores, apparently. Alrighty. So now we're north of the wall with Sam and Gilly. I suppose this is the morning after the White Walker attack. I thought this was a pretty cute scene where Sam informs Gilly that they are still a considerable distance from Castle Black. But not to worry, because the night for it is close by. He explains that um, he plans to get across the wall using a secret sally port, which leads right into the night fort. And Gilly is amazed that Sam knows such so much history just from reading books and insists that he must be a wizard. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. became the birth of a thousand memes. You're a wizard, Sam. <laughs> Wasn't well, this like after Sam said he wanted to be a wizard? Like... Didn't he and John have that conversation? Oh, where he's right. ring a bell. It oh. does ring a bell. So, yeah, you see how his eyes light up. Isn't that in yeah. season one? Yeah, it must have been. But so, so, step back and imagine what this is like for Gilly. Like, I just think this is such a good scene for her. And she's she's totally out of her element with what she's doing. Like, she's so brave. She's led this really sheltered life and a sheltered, abusive life. And all she's heard since she was little, I'm sure, is how dangerous the wall is and how dangerous oh, yeah. the night's watch is. And here she is anyway mm. doing it, doing it, you know, for what's best for her child. I, mean, I think, think she's of in she... canon. Hmm? You know, in canon all that she's done, she's lived beyond the wall, uh-huh. she's crossed She's crossed the wall, she's been to Castle Black, she's been to Bravo, she's been to the Citadel. Like, she's, yeah. she's, she's a well-traveled also... woman. I like her. And, you know, the whole baby switch. I mean, she's, like, <laughs> been through a lot of shit, man. She has, yeah. So She's this like was a soap opera character. I remember this being the moment that I finally <laughs> realized that Cold Hands wasn't going to be in the show. Oh, when, when, when Sam knew about that portal, the entrance to the Night Fort, I was like, "Oh God, they're just cutting out Cold Hands, aren't they?" Oh, I still have hope, Chicky. <laughs> I still have hope. <laughs> I think uh, still facing, he and Stoneheart will turn up together. You're a Cold yeah. Hand truther. <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to Arya and the Hound as they come across a peasant bringing salt pork to the Tully and Frey wedding. Sander knocks him out and prepares to kill him, but Arya stops him. 
he tells her that kindness is going to have her killed one day. So as the peasant wakes up, Arya knocks him out again. But yeah. It's a little bitty scene. It's a good scene though. I, yeah. I, I'm really a huge fan of, of Maisie and Rory together. I think they have such good chemistry. Um, mm. And you see, them pl- you see that play out even in the little moments they have together like these ones because, I mean, both Arya and the Hound are really quite complicated characters and both actors play them with some really good subtlety here. Like this sort of scene could really solely be played for comedy, but you can see all that stuff that's going on beneath the superficial jokey aspect of it. And I think that's mostly due to the actors here. I just really love their dynamic. Do you think that the Hound is jealous of Arya? Jealous? Uh, jealous of Arya. Why? Yeah. In, what in terms of, at this point in time, he thinks that she's reuniting with her family and, like, everything's going to be okay for her. Well, he certainly doesn't want to reunite with his family except to murder it. Um. Right. So, I mean, just like, she has she has this family. She's yeah, not, you know, in from, he thinks she's, yeah, that she has this family. Happiness. She's going to be done wandering. She's going to have, like, this happy thing and and... You know, it's still the same shit life for him. I mean, maybe. I didn't really see it. I feel like he's mean to her. Like, he's extra mean. Well, that's one thing about their relationship. It's funny because I think last week I was talking a little bit about how he he's he can be gentle with her and I... But there, there's also a real honesty in their relationship. Like, neither of them holds back. Um, I think it's all part and parcel of, of the relationship between the two characters. I think there's a sort of grudging... I don't know if you'd call it a respect. Um, there's something going on there. They don't outright loathe each other. Um, but as to whether the hound begrudges Arya her, you know, potential happiness, I, I don't know. I didn't really see that. Maybe. I always felt like they were kind of kindred spirits. You know, that way when you just yeah. meet someone who, you know, kind of shares some of your worldviews or something, like, mm-hmm. even if you don't necessarily become great friends with them, there's just kind of a weird rapport there. And that was always, right. I mean, that was always what I felt in the book. And I think they did a fairly good job of representing that on the show with these two. I think so, too. You know, I've forgotten how much of their dynamic developed in the third season. There's actually a lot of it in this season. You're right. We did have actually more scenes than I recall. I mean, I think... Yeah. In the, in the lead up to the Red Wedding, we've had, what, three, four? Yeah, at, at least. least three. Yeah. So they, they did devote a fair bit of time to these two. And I think with good cause. I mean, oh, yeah. the scenes themselves weren't particularly lengthy scenes, but they gave us, I think they packed quite a punch for what we got. Okay. Uh, Daphne, did you have anything to say? I thought I could be wrong. No, I did say something. Okay. No, I was just All agreeing right. with you about Maisie being good because, oh, I, you know, when she's looking yeah. up at the um, at the twins, you can just see it in her eyes. She knows she won't oh, yeah. make it. I think you can see it, so I like it. I yeah. think she is okay. really <laughs> reluctant. I think she's hopeful, but I think she's very reluctant to believe that something good is finally happening to her after all the shit that she's been right. through. You're right. Like she does such good work with her face. It's like I was saying, it's a lot of that depth comes out just through her face. I think she does a really, really good job. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So now we're back to Bran with his company. As they arrive in the gift, and this place is abandoned due to wildling attacks, and a storm is coming, so they take shelter in an abandoned windmill. It looks like a windmill to me. And um, fairly close by, Jon Snow and the wildlings arrive in the same area, 
and they encounter an old man that breeds horses for the Night's Watch. So Tormen and the Wadlings plan to attack his farm. And as they're getting close to the farm, Jon Snow alerts the farmer by hitting a rock with his sword, which causes the farmer to hop on a horse and run off. And there's that scene. <laughs> there's a lot of just jumping around during this episode, I swear. Just little bitty things. There is, but you know, I thought the editing <laughs> in it was quite good. I thought that it's it was... really good. Yeah, especially when it came to the Red Wedding and we're sort of um, flicking between the different camp so like outside with the men that then inside then back outside with aria i think they tied that all together really really well yeah and um next after that scene we have aria again as she's looking longingly at the twins it's like so close yet so far away from being reunited with her family and we found out the best part of a pig is not bacon it's Apparently the feet. Well, according to the commentary, <laughs> they actually put chicken in the pig's feet for Rory because he just didn't want to get into it. Do you blame him? Not t- totally understandably, yes. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, like, this is... Feet? Oh, do you? Yeah. I haven't actually tried pig's feet. What? <laughs> <laughs> but on raw, I mean, the pig feet that he's eating, isn't that Is it raw? Uncooked. Oh, it God. looks so. Oh, it's like, like, it's really oh. tried. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, can I? I just need to bring you back to the last scene with John and the Wildlings because, um, okay. in the commentary, um, there were two commentaries for this episode. I only watched it with one of them. I watched it with uh, Richard Madden, uh, Michelle Fairley, and David Nutter, who was the director of the episode. And uh, they're discussing Tormund, uh, and David Nutter refers to uh, the actor who plays Tormund, who's Christopher Hivdew, I think, um, as a demonic Santa Claus. So, <laughs> oh, that's going to haunt my dreams, but possibly in a good way, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, really, yeah, yeah, it's ac- oh, sorry, go ahead, Daphne. No, I just said it's accurate. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So, you know what's yeah. interesting is that um, – it would be more accurate for his book character because I think in the book he has a white beard. They made him ginger in the show for some reason. They made him younger. I feel like he should book, be ginger. You think in the he book he's joking around a lot more and in the show he's a lot more serious. He is, yeah. So yeah. it's like, kind of made all of the wild all of the wildlings more serious. The manse is way more serious, you know, they're all mm. Yeah, we didn't see yeah. ants dancing around with his with his loot. A barrel of laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> All right, so um, we're going back to Brienne and company again, and they're still in that windmill, and it's storming, and Hodar is scared of thunder, and the wildlings show up, and Hodar is totally freaking out, so Brienne wargs into Hodar to keep him quiet. Hmm, which is an interesting way that they dealt with that, because that does happen in the books, um, mm-hmm. but not in the same way. Uh in the book, it's shown to be this huge violation of Hodor. He's sort of, yeah. I think uh, he tries mm. to fight Bran's intrusion like quite violently until he finally kind of whimpers and gives in. And it's pretty much a rape analogy in the books. And it's a big deal for Bran uh, in relation to him misusing or I guess overusing his warging power. But here in the show, mm. they really just use it as a mechanism to show that Bran can warg. Um so, you know, it's a small thing. It's a 
but it's a small thing that indicates that the show is not always good with the thematic adaptations, however small mm-hmm. they are, and that the writers will often take moments from the books and twist them to suit their purpose. I mean, I, I personally, I thought that deal. I thought the reaction to the actors showed that it was that it was disturbing. Well, that's what I initially like. Thought. Everyone was freaked out by it. That's what I initially thought until we got to the latest scene where Joe just like, oh, you can walk. Like it was this well, I think- amazing thing <laughs> that just happened. Use that power to, you know, get into to summer and see what's going on outside. That was my understanding of it. I think Jojen was desperate at that point. Plus, Jojen uses Bran all the time. He's a user. Well, I, I don't know. Personally, I feel like, yeah, they just what they what they failed to embrace here is the grayness of Bran. I mean, mm-hmm. Bran is a fairly gray character. I mean, he, he does do this mind character. rape thing with Hodor in the books. And well, and it is exactly. a, it is also, very much a violation. It is a rape of, of yes. the self. And well, wasn't Bran warging into summer before, many times before he yes. even did this with Hodor mm-hmm. too. Yes, mm-hmm. That's right. So this, the chronology was flipped as well, and that's and exactly and Bran like, does um, a lot of nasty shit. I mean, he's eating people. He, you know, as summer, he's eating allegedly, Jojen allegedly. later. I mean, no, no, she's talking about <laughs> uh, oh, the oh, right, <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh, but yeah, oh, you, yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. Bran is is really a great character. It's interesting because I think that's something that people do tend to miss they see bran as really the protagonist of this story and he's a not just a protagonist but a hero protagonist um but he he's not a one-dimensional hero he does do some really questionable stuff and this was one of those moments in the books that really highlighted uh that issue with bran and it didn't really come to the fore in the show and like i said it's a small thing and I, you know, it may not be such a huge deal, but we've yeah. seen this kind of misstep play out on a much larger scale many times now throughout the series. Like, obviously, with Sansa and Santa Jane in Winterfell, you know, it's kind of an inherent flaw with the adaptation. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see to where think, they go with I mean, this things, in six. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the books, isn't Bran supposed to be like, what, eight? <laughs> eight or nine? He's a kid. Yeah. He's a kid. I mean, he starts out of seven. At that yeah. age. But, yeah, they're they're pretty much sociopaths at that age anyway. True, very yeah. true. So I mean, but he's I mean, have to think about that. Show. Yeah, he's he's probably <laughs> botting by now on the show. Oh, oh my god, <laughs> poor Isaac. <laughs> Isaac, I have to say, he's a very good good looking young man. It's nothing against Isaac. We're just kidding. Yeah, but that wig. <laughs> oh, that wig that is wig. Yeah, really hot. Okay, so the wildlings catch that old farmer. <laughs> And Oral wants Snow to kill the farmer to prove he's one of them, but he can't, so Egret does it at Snow. And um, while this is, is urging Bran to work into summer to attack the wildlings, and um, apparently the, the direwolves attack the wildlings, and then Snow ends up getting into a fight with Oral, but he wargs as he's, as Snow was killing Oral, Oral wargs into his eagle and fucks up Jon Snow's face, but he's able to make an escape. <laughs> yeah, it's like there's so many little things that are happening. Yeah, it's really <laughs> quite an intense scene, isn't it? There's a lot of shit going down, yeah. and it happens quite quickly. And I, I love Tormund, like, basically holding Egret back and just saying you're not going to die for him. I, I think, like, I've always sort of thought that he's either, like, an uncle or that he, there was some woman that he loved and 
he didn't end up with her and Egret's her daughter, so he has like this protective feeling towards her. I don't know. I do just you think, think that's that a relationship. Made, do you, yeah. Do you think well, that they're both gingers? I was I mean, about to say, do you think together. that's why they specifically yeah. made him ginger on the show? Like is he? Yeah, a farmer? maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> I think that um, I think that Tormund does give quite a fatherly vibe towards Egret. Um and it really struck me in that moment that you said Gal where he's trying to hold her back and keep her from getting too involved and to keep her safe from harm. And I, I do think he considers her his family, at least in the show. Um I think that is something that has been shown throughout. And, you know, like you were talking earlier, YD, I really appreciate the way that they edited all of this together. I I think that they really Mm. made it cohesive. This could have gone really far awry having, you know, Bran and company in the windmill and the warging of of the wolf. And and then you have the, the wildlings, you know, doing their thing outside. This could have been really difficult to understand, and yet it was very clear and very easy to understand. Really, really well done. Very masterfully oh, done, I think. Really good editing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. From a storytelling yeah. standpoint, this was really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we give a shout out to Rose Leslie for her face when John rides off? Like, oh, she's oh, yes. not. A little heartbreaking. Look, it's just like Roman and Juliet. This, this episode had some really good just facial expressions. Facial expressions, and it hit a lot of really well-done emotion. Well, they didn't feel manipulative. I mean, obviously, (laughs) you write a show and you're writing to uh, elicit a certain response from the audience. So in that way, it's always manipulative. But it it wasn't contrived to be manipulative, if you know what I mean. It just felt right. And, and I think, hurt. you know, yeah, I think the show has done really well with the Johnny Grit relationship, though, because you do actually see it from both of their perspectives, like from almost beginning to end. And, you know, you understand what he's doing. You understand exactly what she's feeling, too. And sometimes I think, you know, it's one sided. So you only get John's perspective usually. But I, I do appreciate that we really got a lot more of Egret's resp- uh, perspective than we do in the books. Yeah, I do, mm-hmm. too. All right, so back to Yunkai, and um, if you that 20 good men, Chicky, because like apparently Dario and Jora and Grey Worm, they take Yunkai. Mm-hmm. Dario has some really <laughs> nice whistling skills. They are 20 good they- men, three of them, apparently. Because, <laughs> I mean, apparently three people take the city of Yunkai in this episode. <laughs> like, did, you, did you watch that fight? That was some Xena-style fighting shit where it's like <laughs> three against however many, but the you know the remainder of the Yunkai soldiers just kind of stood on the sidelines waiting their turn you know just like enjoying the show popping a beer. Yeah, <laughs> but it's because they're slaves, so they decide night they choose not to fight. Is it? That's what I thought. I mean, I think they mentioned something about the slaves, didn't they? About how they would hold back. Was that the initial plan? Something about yeah. that the yeah. slaves would hold back? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know what was really great about this scene uh, was that very cool opening shot. Do you guys remember when they're panning down? It's like a, it's night time, and they're panning yeah. down over the harpy and the greater city, and there are all those little burning torches dotting each building. I thought that was beautiful. It is CG, which is what I learned. Well, I presumed, and I learned from the commentary, but I thought that was a really good effect. And uh, obviously, Dario and Jora are still measuring their dicks because. Dario is a great whistler, you guys. Did you know that? He's a great whistler. Yeah. He is. But, you know, I'm, I'm actually starting to think Dario is more into Jorah than Danny at this stage. <laughs> I'm just trying oh, to yeah. impress him. I'd watch oh. it. Okay. I'm just wondering why Why did they not do cross-training? So, like, 
you know, the unsullied learn sword fighting and, you know, like what? It just, just seems yeah. like they they got to Marine and sat on their asses. Yeah, I mean, spears aren't going to do very, very great in close quarters like what happened in like last season. They didn't I just, really yeah, do anything. It's just, it's just a shame. I love how much she riles you up, Guile. Well, it's just so inexcusable. <laughs> it really is. I agree. <laughs> I'm going to write a sternly worded yeah. letter. Sorry, Daphne, go ahead. But I think they mention it when they're first introduced that they use, like, the Dothraki Iraq and the, and the spear. And when, um, when Krasnas is talking about, he's trying to impress, and he's talking about, like, how great the, um, the Unsullied are. Yeah. Was. Oh, they say it in the show that they use swords. <laughs> and then they just yeah, drop they it. Do. Yeah. And am I misremembering or did he say that they were also good with swords? I feel like he said they're good with like several different weapons and I remember thinking yeah. back and going, yeah. "Really? They're, they're supposed to be really badass <laughs> and they're supposed to have like ingested like this poison that makes them like if they get uh, injured they yeah. can't feel it." Yeah. And like I, I mean, feel like Danny got a yeah. lemon. She got yeah. <laughs> Do you think this was like the bargain basement unsullied that she they were hiding (laughs) just bring out for the dumb you know dumb chick from Westeros? Yep, these are the seconds. Like they would have given you know. Yeah, she went to the factory outlet store for unsullied. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I love it. All right, Uh, back at the twins, the Starks men are camped out. Having a party, and now the wedding. Now they're ha- we're at the wedding, and the phrase reveal that to Edmir that, um, and to our surprise, that Edmir is marrying a really pretty Frey, Rosalind Frey, and she's quite easy on the eyes. And they proceed with the wedding. I love that they carried yeah. this gag from the the first meeting uh, with Walder, where you could see Edmir was really looking over all of all yeah. of Walder's daughters and granddaughters and going, "Oh, not one of these." And yeah, that, yeah. It, it was a really good distraction, I think, from what was coming. Yeah, it was funny to watch how they tried to distract you from what was obviously coming at this wedding, because when you devote like. 25 minutes to a particular, you know, moment in an episode when when your whole season only has 10 episodes, it's pretty obvious that it's going to be momentous. So it's funny how they kind of tried to distract the average viewer from what was, you know, going to go You know what, though? I actually do think yeah. the average viewer didn't see it coming from what I said. They didn't. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't. I mean, it opens again, up I... with Rob and Catelyn, like, planning this attack, and, and people are like, yeah, they're going to take Casterly Rock. <laughs> they're going to do it. It happened with the book readers, too, from what I can gather, yeah. what I've seen online. The book readers didn't see it coming either. <laughs> so, well done to both George and to uh, David and Dan there. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Um, we're going back to Bran and company, and they decide to split up. Bran and the Reeds must go north of the wall, while Asha and Rickon must go to Last Hearth, House Umber, and they say their goodbyes, which is pretty sad. I know, I was so... Little Rickon, oh my gosh, about made me cry. Art Parkinson's such a little actor in this scene. so cute. And how old would he have been here? Like, what, 10, 11? Maybe 10, yeah. When he's like, I'm your brother, I have to protect you, and I melted a pile of poo. And I also adore 
Osha in this scene. I love how close she's gotten to both the start boys. I'm such a sucker for this stuff. I really am. Yeah. Wow. I was just going to say, Art um, Art Parkinson was born October 19th, 2001. So next week he will be 14. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he was probably oh, like man. 12. 11 like, or 12 back then. 11 or yeah. 12 at the time. I guess probably it was would have been in the summer. So um, yeah. just I have to say, like, Googling Art Parkinson, like, the first thing that comes up, though, is his height. So I feel like everyone's anticipating that this season he's going to come back and be, like, six feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> God, I hope oh. so. I really hope so. According to IMDb, he is four foot four, but I feel like that's, I think that's looks like... I hope that's that he's, yeah, he's not going to be a four foot tall, fourteen year old. I'm pretty sure. So, I think it comes be... back as Tommen next season, and then like the next season, uh, he comes back as Rickon. <laughs> I'm still waiting for Viserys to come back as Danny. Oh my! Oh, yes, I would love that. I know we all would. Except I think the here. acting would be a lot better too. <laughs> Guy was like, here we go. <laughs> Speaking of Danny, we're going back to Team Danny. Where oh, and Sajora and Grey Worm. Yes. <laughs> this is where Sajora and, and Grey Worm they return from their night attack on Yunkai. And Jura tells Danny the attack was pretty much a piece of cake. But Danny seems more concerned about Daria's whereabouts. And we see poor Jorah's puppy dog face. Oh, face. You know in The Simpsons where Ralph gives Lisa? Uh, you can see the moment God. where he's hot, yes. but yes. you can too. Yes. <laughs> totally oh. You can totally see that. I feel so bad for Jorah. I mean, all he wanted was, was Danny. Danny. All he wanted was Danny's love. And now he's got leprosy. I mean, it's bad times <laughs> for Jorah. Oh. <laughs> but you know Dario, he's got this weird prediction for bringing Danny bizarre gifts. I mean, first it was decapitated heads, and now it's what some sort of gross linen. Uh, what was that? That filthy flag? Was it a flag? I don't know. Oh, yeah. He could have laundered it first. I mean, oh, yeah, right. come on, she's a lady. <laughs> she's a lady. Okay, so are we ready for this? Uh, I don't think you're ever ready, ready? for this. <laughs> Uh, ever, ever. Okay, so we're going to the, I guess, the piece de resistance, okay? Oh, it's the red wedding scene. <laughs> what is called, known as the red wedding scene. And we have Edmure and Roslyn's wedding reception. And um, the band's rocking right now. Did you know that they got Coldplay's drummer? <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> afraid? He's actually afraid. Which was interesting as opposed to in the books where the band is absolutely terrible. <laughs> and that is an indication that they are not musicians, but in fact soldiers. You know, the food was shitty, the band was everything shitty. Everything was shitty. Like, everything was, well, everything apparently, was shitty. Uh, apparently, in the show, they know how to cut up the dance floor. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I, have really I have a question. So. Why did Walder Frey give his prettiest or one of his pretty daughters to marry Ed Muir? Was it to just to shove it in Rob's face before he murdered him? Or, I mean, why would he waste one of his more marriageable daughters? You know, I've always felt like he just wanted to prove that he had one. Yeah, just to shove it in Rob's face. Yeah, just to prove that he had a pretty Uh, daughter. He has has an issue with the Tullys, though, too. Like, he's, he's, you know, he. 
Yeah, he wants to prove it to them, too. Yeah. Plus, you know, I mean, he's an asshole, but maybe he likes Rosalind and, like, wanted to give her the best husband who would, you know, hate her then from the rest of her life. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing is basically predicated on the fact that Walter Frey has this huge amount of resentment. I and mean, obviously it's a power play as well, but all the other families in Westeros, and as you say, particularly the Tullys, I know he has he had issues with um, Catelyn's dad, treating him with contempt. You know, everyone's always looked down on the Freys in general and it's clear that Walder has this kind of simmering rage. It's been building for a very long time so that when Rob breaks his oath uh, to marry one of his daughters, it just kind of boils over and it's revenge time. So I think that fits in with that. I think Walder would want to show them, hey, I actually do have something of worth here. Yeah, I absolutely think that's what it is. Because, you know, the thing about about Rosalind is, at least in the books, she's actually a really poor choice from from Walder's side because... um, She doesn't have good hips. Well, no, (laughs) it's not just that. But, you know, (laughs) I think it's her brothers, or at least one of her brothers, who who is actually really good friends with Rob, who is one of his squires. and Oliver was one of his squires. Yeah. All of her siblings are kind of known. Um, her, when I say her siblings, like the 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 siblings that she shares that have the same mother, um, they're all kind of known for being reasonable phrase, basically, and and Stark loyalists. So it's actually a weird choice for Walder to make. So I absolutely yeah. think it's just about the fact that she's the prettiest, and he wants to prove that he has one who's pretty. <laughs> of course, yeah. Walder Frey has always been a pretty shitty dude, even whenever he was a kid. Like he even has like a little appearance in one of the Duncan egg novellas Yeah, as a kid. And I mean, he was mm-hmm. bad as a kid. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously go ahead. Chiki. Doesn't Duncan get the chance to like, <laughs> to save Walder and he almost doesn't do it or something. Walder's like, yeah, I mean, talked about it. We he makes a comment about how he needs a spanking. It's something like that. <sighs> I thought it was, weren't we at one point lamenting the fact that Dunk could have finished him off or something? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I seem to remember that. And he yeah. didn't, alas. <laughs> but yeah, I yeah. mean, Walder's clearly not a good guy. He's pretty much a monster. But, yeah. you know, you can, I understand rationale for doing what he's doing here with the with the Red Wedding, though obviously oh, I vehemently yeah. disagree with it. <sighs> yeah. yeah. So, okay, Revenge let's see. a powerful motivator. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. All right, let's see. Um, everyone's having a great time. We have a sweet little scene between Rob and Talissa. Oh, and God. then Lord Frey sends Edmir and Roslyn off for the betting. And it seems like everything's going swell, right? Was that, was yeah. that scene with Ned? Rob and Talisa where they talk about naming their baby after Ned? Yes. Yes. Oh, now, if you God. didn't know something was going to happen before yeah. then, then you've never watched <laughs> oh, any, like, again, Barry, another name, which was named after Sean Bean, dies immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they talk about that. And then all of a sudden it's like Kat notices that the Freys are starting to lock the doors oh. and then we start hearing the reins of Castamere. Okay, I've got to say, the oh, build-up, the build-up to yeah. the climax of this is incredibly done. Yeah. It is... It's very much a cat point of view for this scene, which is fitting because it was the same in the book chapter. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of little things they did that I really liked. I liked how they brought Ned into the scene in little ways. Obviously, we just talked about Rob and Talisa discussing naming their firstborn child after him. And also with Roos bringing up Cat and Ned's wedding, um, it sort of compounds the tragedy in a way, reminding us really of how much his family's already lost and how much they're about to lose. And then... 
the build-up with mm-hmm. Kat noticing uh, Black Walder closing the door and then the music yeah, then, starts to play. And then the music starts and then we see Grey Wind locked up and, right, and we've got right, as like Arya and the mm-hmm. Hound arrive right then. Right, and they're being told to turn around because the feast is over and clearly you yeah. know there's something going on, something's wrong. But what is really chilling about this is the way that Kat knows that something terrible is about to happen but there's – really no overt sign of it. It's probably more of a subconscious thing to her at this point and she's putting some minor pieces together. But she's well, yeah. so worried. And all she's she can, worried? She's so worried and all she can really do is sit and wait and it all contributes to this huge sense of unease for the viewer, especially if you haven't read the books. And even if you have, like you share that unease and it's really foreboding. It's just so well done and oh, yeah. so fairly, man. <laughs> she's incredible. Oh, yeah. wow. She is just yeah. incredible. Like back inside, and Cat like notices that Roos has the chainmail underneath his tunic, and she tries uh-huh. to warn Rob, and then it's too late. Then the shit. Hits that, the fan. Yeah, then the shit. The, yeah, the shit really hits the fan because, like, uh, what's it? Talisa's is stabbed multiple oh, times. Oh, that was not necessary. And then Rob gets like shot numerous times with the crossbows and. So yeah, then can we just talk about Roos for a too. second? Yes, please. Because yeah, because Cat yes. doesn't notice that Roos is wearing that. Roos like look and shows her like yeah. he is hardcore. Oh. He's all like, and "Hey, awesome. you look down." He he looks He's, down. Yeah, look. Yeah. At oh yeah. He's like, "Hey, like look at look at this. I want you look to at see what what's going to happen." Yeah. Yeah. This is why I'm not um, drinking tonight. Yeah. Right, and never trust a man who doesn't drink. I mean, come on, guys. Haven't you learned anything? Also, shamefully, he's so sexy in that scene. Oh, my God. Like, I can't even stand it. You love the story. It's called Killers. Do you also find Mr. Fry attractive? No, but there's a – okay, I have a terrible fan fiction confession, which is that there's a Roos Catlin fan fiction that's like the night before the the Red Wedding where she has to agree to fuck him in order to like – Oh my god! Secure the secure like his alliance with Rob, and so they do it, and then like and and, the, and then like they do it, and she's worried because he didn't pull out and stuff. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. Oh my and god. then Kyle, and then the next this? day, did you write this fic? I did not. It's hot. It's very hot. It's very good. And then the next, you know, the next day, same. You know, he kills her. Like the same shit happens. It's just uh <laughs> I was scared you were going to say horrible. that there was like a water fray, a water fray fanfic out oh, there. God. I'm, like, oh. I'm sure there probably is. I will not oh, look God. for that. I don't I'll look that. right now while we're talking. <laughs> that if you can think of a pairing of <laughs> Guile. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry. Um, we have. I just got like a little caught up in my, my roost like attraction and stuff. So <laughs> I enjoy it. Yep, there are two works in Walder Frey Catlin Star. <laughs> oh no. I'm not surprised. Why, people? Why? Yeah, I'm not. Oh, but they're both. Oh, settle down, everyone. They're both rated T. <laughs> they just play hopscotch together. That makes it worse. <laughs> that makes it worse. Yeah. Um, okay, um, on to the next. The next scene, I guess it's the one with Arya as she's pretty much watching um, the Starkmen being butchered. And then we get to see the phrase kill Grey Wind. And honestly, for me, this was like really hard for me to watch because whenever I – I had already read the third 
I thought I was pretty prepared for the Red Wedding. The stuff with the Starks being butchered in the other room really didn't phase me. But actually seeing Maisie Williams, like mm. her performance of watching Grey Wind like get killed, mm-hmm. like really tore me up. Yeah, then they because really, I, I did not expect that. They really focused on. There's that little bit at the end where Grey Wind is dying, obviously, and he's just yeah. lying on the ground, and he makes eye contact with Arya, and that broke my soul yeah um well and plus in the you know in the book he gets more of a a badass ending because doesn't one of jane was see him Mm -hmm. and he He takes takes some guys down yeah yeah you know i've got to say aria as well the way they wrote for aria and the way that Maisie played it throughout this episode and for the red wedding stuff particularly i just i was watching it again and i just stopped to think about just how she would feel in this moment because She's been separated from her family for so long. She saw her own father beheaded in front of her. She's endured just so much to finally get so close to her mother and her brother and then to essentially see them murdered before her eyes just as they were going to be reunited. And the thing is, she's not even sure that they have been murdered. You know, everything's happening so fast and there's all this confusion and she wants to get to them. I can't even imagine how that would feel, but you see it. Oh. You see it on Arya's face, and that's yeah. that's for me. That's Maisie. Yeah, and she's so brave. Oh, I love and how well that Maisie so plays brave. just her absolute commitment to getting in there. It's like, no, 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 that's certain death. What are you doing? It's not that she doesn't know that. She it's just that care. she's so yeah. brave. She doesn't care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I did really like the scene with the hound knocking her out just to get the hell out of there. But do you remember in the book, though, whenever yeah. this happened, it's like, I think, didn't he hit her with, like, the, the back of an it's axe like or something? And like, I remember it was not. at the very end of it. Yeah. Well, and the, it ended like that in that chapter. And so, mm-hmm. like, you think that he killed her. I mean, at least I thought she was dead right there. So, I mean, and I think a lot of other people also had that reaction as well. It's much more of a cliffhanger in the books. In the show, you can kind of say that he just out a little bit but she'll yeah. she'll wake up well just think of yeah. poor Arya has like watched her father getting killed and tried to rush off yeah. you know rush the stage essentially and you know she tries to do the exact same thing for Kat and Rob and, well, just, that's, yeah, and that's what Shiki was saying she's just very yeah. brave she, she doesn't care about her own safety it's her family she has to save her family I feel like she and Jamie could you know mm-hmm. have a good talk over the fire someday <laughs> You should ride that fit. stupid thing. No, no fix, no fix. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> okay. I think it mirrors. I think it mirrors um, the quote from the books. You know, um, what is it called? You know, the love is our greatest glory and our greatest tragedy. Yeah, that's a beautiful. Yeah. I really like. And it, yeah, I love that quote. Fits in with the whole story, especially the Starks. You know. How she has this great family and they all, you know, they have this great love for each other. And then all this tragedy just happens to them and much worse that they love each other so much. Yeah, it's it's really quite a big theme throughout the books. And you're right, it's really evident with with the stars. Did anyone get a little choked up at the start when you see, you know, the Starks arriving, you see the Stark banners flying, just thinking, you know, we haven't seen episode, you know, we we don't see this again, I mean, until potentially this coming season, but to just see the banners flying, I was kind of struck by, like, oh, God, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's been, gone after this. 
Well, that's it. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty much. Well, it's 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 a while until we see. Well, no one's really reunited after this, are they? Everyone's the, the remaining yeah. Starks who are alive are all separated. We've got Bran yeah. separated, Rickon, Sansa, and Arya, and not, none of them know where each other is. And oh, uh, and John, he's technically not yeah. a Stark. Yeah. Well, and Hard Uncle Benjamin. Oh, he got a shout out in this episode. Did you hear? That was they, such, they a, mentioned such a troll. <laughs> such a troll. When did they mention Benjamin? Ah, uh, oh, good question. Um, it was. Wasn't it when? The preview. No, it was in the scene where uh, Bran and company are in the windmill or wherever they are, and Hodor okay. is Hodoring. Um, and Bran mentioned something about Benjen told me this about mm. <laughs> I can't remember the specifics, but I did I do recall they mentioned Benjen because hey, hold on, good Benjen. <laughs> I think if I was running the show from now on, like in my pinnacle episode of the season, I would just put that clip of Benjen in in the previous lease every single just every time. time. Every I mean, time. didn't they really, didn't they pretty much do that for episode yeah, ten? They, they had it in the preview, and everybody was like, "Oh my god, Benjen's yeah. coming back!" And, I don't know why I actually believed he was going to be in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> you think because he was in the previous lease? Oh, bastards! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're going back inside where Rob is crawling to a very dead to listen. And um, Kat, um, she comes out from underneath the table and grabs Frey's wife and holds her at knife point and pleads with Frey to spare Rob. But Frey refuses, recalling the previous oath made that Rob would marry his daughter. And um, Kat begs that they take her hostage and spare Rob. None of this. So Cat kills Frey's wife. Then Bolton stabs Rob and says the latest. And Catelyn watches and she cries out in grief. And then her throat is slit. And that is pretty much the end. It was a really cold ending. Just the way that her eyes go dead when she sees Rob yeah. get stabbed. And that, oh. Can't keep saying it enough. Michelle Fairley is oh gosh, she, incredible. She so well, she is I mean, incredible. In the books, and you hear her thoughts, but yeah. see it in her face. I think yeah. the fact that she wasn't nominated for an Emmy for season three, I think, was an absolute. Then again, these are the same people who repeatedly nominate Amelia Clark. So, well, and who also didn't nominate <laughs> Nikolai for season three, right? Well. Which I'm still bitter about. But yeah. God, that scream that she let out. Well, of I mean, end. Richard Madden, even in this episode, like just he his mother, great. like that's yeah, like he was oh, great. Oh. Mother. Oh. Yeah, he was great. Um, yeah. you know, I was thinking, I keep going back and forth on this this about whether the scene is more traumatic to watch in the show or to read in the books, and I think. In certain ways, it's a little worse in the show because you are uh-huh. essentially forced to take the whole thing in, like, yeah. at their pace, not yours. Like, with the book, you can kind of skip ahead or you can skim. Uh, but here, you kind of have to process it as it's happening on screen, and it's really brutal. Um, it is. But then again, the book, um, I mean, it's a really good ad- show adaptation, but there is some stuff in the book that's not in the show um and I mean, that, killing jingle bell is pretty awful in the book oh yeah that's pretty like, awful the, but there's yeah. the process of it is just awful yeah i mean well, it's like gal Gar- and i briefly mentioned this when we were chatting earlier there's some stuff in the book like for example there's a drone 
don't know if that was happening in the show or not, but if it was, I wasn't really listening to it. Yeah, we were not paying attention, yeah. Yeah, but it's a really effective piece of writing in the book, the way that it all comes together. Um, and, yeah, so as Giles said, it's it's Walder's grandson that Catelyn kills, Jingle Bell, um, and the imagery for that is absolutely chilling. Um, do you mind if I just read it? It's very brief. Sure, go ahead. So... Um, Rob had broken his word, but Catelyn kept hers. She tugged hard on Egon's hair, Egon being Jingle Bell, and sawed at his neck until the blade grated on bone. Blood ran hot over her fingers. His little bells were ringing, 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 and the drum went boom, boom, oh, boom, doom, boom. So it's like, oh, just some of the wordplay <laughs> Uh, is absolutely yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and obviously mm-hmm. we can't hear the music, but George actually scatters lines from Demir throughout this segment. So um, it really it works really really well. Uh, oh. And then the very end bit with Catelyn, it's actually more, I think, more evocative in the books in some way. Can't see her obviously, but she's crying and she's clawing at her face. She's actually tearing strips of skin off until yeah. she's bleeding. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got that awful line when they they go to kill her, um, and someone grabs her scalp and she thinks, "No, no, don't cut my loves my hair." Love my hair. Then the steel was at her throat and its bite was red and cold, and that was the end of the chapter. Oh, so I think both mediums did it very, very well. I was actually very pleased with how the show adapted it. But, yeah, there are obviously yeah. little bits in the books that uh, can contribute more to that yeah. sense of atmosphere. And there's, and there's little character moments too, like, you know, yeah. Daisy Mormont's death. Oh, in the books. I know. It's really awful. Oh. Yeah, I know. And the fact that she just wanted to dance. Like to start it off, she asked one of yeah. the phrase to dance, and he, he kind of is hostile and he rebuffs her, and that's actually what starts Catelyn thinking that something's going wrong. It's like, wow, that was a kind of an overreaction. I wonder what's and going on. And it's kind of funny, like you, you know, you read the the specifics of like which Frey kills which people, and and you know, like one that we never hear is Merritt, who's like the one that we see. You know, at the epilogue, epilogue of Storm yeah. getting killed, right. you know, and yeah. it's just his job was just to like outdrink the great John. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Um, by chance, did anyone watch um, this episode with just a show only watcher, and what was their reaction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my husband. How was Mr. Chicky? He was. What was Mr. Chicky's reaction? He was spoiled that something was going to go down, so he was expecting something, but. Yeah, no, he was like stunned, just like quiet at the end. I remember. Like credits. I know yeah. for me, I had I had finally convinced Mister Eon to start reading a Song of Ice and Fire, and he wasn't even at the third book yet. I think he was still reading um, A Storm of Swords, and we got to this episode, and I was just in a way. I, in a sadistic way, I was just really excited because I just wanted to see what his reaction was. Like you and everyone else think. It, it's like it totally blew. It, blew it, it was worse than I expected because he actually got pissed. Oh. He was so mad. And it's like he's getting mad and he's saying, oh, my gosh, what's the point of this story if they're killing off the Starks? Uh, and here, it's like as this is going on, he's pissed off. And then you see the great, the gray worm 
not the gray the gray wind scene where they're killing gray wind and i'm i'm bawling i'm crying and everything and i'm like the north remembers just remember that the north <laughs> <laughs> was so mad mr ian was so mad he was so mad Kyle, don't don't you have a, a nephew was it a nephew who uh had all the starts as favorite characters and then had to watch them die one by one no he his actual favorite characters my great nephew's favorite characters, um, he just first started watching the show, were Cat and Peter. Peter! <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, God, why? Probably, oddly enough, who probably when, my, when my oldest sister started reading the books, um, she actually really liked Littlefinger, too, and she thought he was going to end up being like a Snape kind of character. <laughs> redeemed me oh in a weird way yeah so it's yeah apparently it runs apparently my family has like you know maybe some higher expectations for people than we should maybe and like why do you you had not read the books yet whenever this I was aired right reading them um but i wasn't up to this part yet so yeah so i don't rem- what was remember was i feel like i may have been spoiled but I was absolutely devastated. I the I felt very emotional after the episode, and that's probably why I had not seen it again until right. I just had to rewatch it for podcast. Huh. So you and you guys, I have a. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask about Daphne. Had you read the books prior to this episode airing? No, but I was spoiled. But you were again, I, I I watched it with my mom the second time, and she was you know she was just blank. And she was like, oh, okay. And then she just got up and made coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's a coping mechanism. Maybe she hopped it. And the thing is, she she loves Catelyn. That was her favorite character. But she's not really that into the show. So she just referred to her as the mother. You know the mother? I want to be like her. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, the mother. (laughs) Okay. Sorry, girl. You can... What were you going to I was say? just going to ask, um, why do you think they changed the line from Jamie Lannister to the Lannisters? Is it because they I'm didn't think the audience would – did they think the audience would blame Jamie for it then? A lot of book readers blame Jamie. You know, you, you constantly see of- these theories come up where book readers are trying to figure out how Jamie was involved in planning the Red Wedding. I mean, it's – it's just a continual thing. I mean, like, a lot of people think that he said that because he knew. And it's like, he had no idea that this was about to happen. I mean, he, he might have known something. Well, he knew Roos was going to betray him, but I mean, I don't yeah, think he Yeah, but he, he had how. no idea. That he had no idea. And we talked about this when we covered the, I think it was the bath scene. Oh, I think it was the bath. Well, not the bath scene, but that chapter. The dinner scene? Yeah, the dinner scene. And, you know, we've got Jamie's internal monologue there, and it's so evident that he has no idea what Bruce is planning. He may think he's planning something, but he has no idea what's going on. So I'm not sure where they're getting the the idea that Jamie was actually involved in this or precipitate. No. I mean, look, way. Jamie has a long mm-hmm. history of completely <laughs> underestimating the lengths that Tywin will go to when it comes to war. He never fully understands <laughs> what his dad is capable of. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that's he, true. Like, he, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he yeah. didn't know. So I suspect also, I that that's pretty. Why. Right. And Brienne yeah, certainly he, had I think no he has clue. a lot of other things to think about. And they knew that they weren't going to bring in yeah, Stoneheart, yeah. so it doesn't really matter if Jamie sent his no. regards or not. Okay, so where do we think Blackfish is no. on the show? Since, they, since they took him to the wedding, where do, what do we think happened? 
He has kidney stones. He's still on the toilet. <laughs> he saw the shit go down when he was taking a piss. He skulked off. Yeah. Um, made his way back to River Run. And we're just supposed to forget that. Well, actually, Brienne had bad information when she said Walder Frey was holding it. She just had it wrong. Okay. So Ooh. actually, he's holed up in River Run. Okay, but then... Hmm. hmm. He's just chilling so with cold hands right now. Was that Ian? He's just he's chilling with, with cold hands. Right? Jerry Ann and cold hands and stone heart. Yeah. And just chilling. And Uncle Benjamin. It's it's all the last yeah, uncles. Yeah. <laughs> Strong Bellas is there. And Pretty Maris, I guess she might be there too. Yeah. There you go. Well, I'm oh, yep. Don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, Do we have any thank yous? We do. We have um, quite a few. If you um, first, I think we want to acknowledge um, Lady Blade War Angel has been going through the podcast um, one by one. I think she's on episode, oh gosh, like episode sixty something, maybe 60 something. right now. Yeah, it's incredible. And has been sending us, um, you know, really quite nice messages along the way. And we just want to, you know, acknowledge her and let her know we love hearing from you. We love and it. Yeah, do. hopefully it's been really nice. It's all we've been talking about for a couple of weeks here. <laughs> it's getting, yeah, getting we, those yeah. awesome messages. It's been incredible. nice to just re- relive some of these episodes. Yeah, I mean, it really a lot has. of them you just forget what you you've said, really, because we've just done so many. So true. And yeah. then we have three um, three nice thank yous that came in from Tumblr. So the first one is from Coin and Sundry, and she says, "Hey, I'm a fairly new listener, and I just want to thank you all for such a great podcast." Being able to de-stress and laugh, um, giggle, along with you on all of my train and bus rides has really been help, has really helped a lot over these last two weeks, and I'm slowly but surely catching up. Um, somehow listening to this podcast has made me fall even deeper into the JB pairing. Keep the amazing work coming, please. Oh, thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Right, right. Yeah. Work here is done. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, our good friend Cloth Clotha Spindle wrote in. And said, catching up with the recent podcast episodes and wanted to send kudos for all the work everyone put into them. Love the season six news and spoilers. I've come across a lot of bits here and there, but you all put it together in a nice bundle and shined a light on things I've missed. Now, I'm seriously all about Jamie getting his hot hand on Widow's Whale ASAP. He can use it as some sort of divining rod to find Brienne. The damn thing thing should glow blue the closer it gets to Brienne and Oathkeeper. Also, Jamie needs to stop by Hot Pie's place and get some sage advice on how to woo Brienne while he's questing. I like that she said sage there because, you know, herbs and pies. Um, She continues, I enjoyed the fanfic episode so much. It's it's now up there as one of my all-time fave podcast discussions. I don't write fanfic, so it was a nice window into the process. Love the topics that came up. Some great questions were asked and answered. Fun stuff. Um, P.S. The dog was awesome, too. I'm all about pet sounds contributing to the podcast <laughs> ambience. Aww. So I think it was Stay Seated, um, Stay Seated's dog that provided Aww. the sound effects there. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I just got to say say that people put so much effort into that fanfic app, but also the Season 6 update apps. Like, everyone's putting in a massive for those so um i'm glad that people are appreciating those so speaking of speaking which, up of yeah go for it Ian. Uh, oh yeah i was about to say that i'm um, just speaking of the that season six update um if any if anyone has any questions for our lovely ladies regarding season six just send them our way um you can actually 
if you have any questions or comments, just um, send them to our Tumblr. That's close the door and come here at tumblr.com or to our, e- our Gmail, our email Gmail. <laughs> close the door and at gmail.com. Perfect. Or how you could even rate and leave us comments on iTunes. And um, just remember, other, hey, every time, yes. every time that you leave an iTunes review, Lot doesn't kill a kitten. So yeah. we do have one more, um, one more thank you, and it's one that's kind of close to my heart. So I want to make sure we don't miss oh. out on it. This is from one of our favorite listeners again, Crystal Rose Twenty Nine. Who says, so I've been busy and took a Song of Ice and Fire break, including podcasts. Today I popped on If I Look Back, I'm Lost, which must have been your greatest episode ever. <laughs> because the episode ends with my girl Danny roasting the fuck out of Crazy Krasny and taking what is hers by fire and blood. Okay, and maybe because you totally sh- me a shout out i was in my car laughing like a loon i love you girls and i love the podcast and i wish i could come on and talk my favorite book and tv series with you guile you are my homie you're my homie too crystal rose i uh, love the opening y'all rocks that was really a fun one to That's do adorable. i i gotta say that opening was the best opening we've had in a while i did enjoy that um i'd also like to direct all hate mail to guile and subterfuge if you have the need to send us hate mail, just send it to her Tumblr. And we we do have one question that came in. If oh my we gosh, wanna really? cover that. Yeah, yeah it's a fairly it. lengthy um it's a fairly lengthy question from Lenore and it begins Sorry, I'm just bringing it up quickly. Um Hi, all. I've been a fan of these books since 2005, which I'm sorry, and I have read them all twice and was um, sitting doing homework when the endgame for Jamie and Brienne hit me like a nuclear freight train. I will try to explain it in my reasoning as best I can. So the question is, do you think Brienne is Azor or high? Um, now, before we all nod our heads yes and giggle, let's think about the repercussions of this assertion. And it, it, it's a very long question, so I'm going to try to summarize summarize it a bit, which is basically that um, the legend of Azor Ahai is that he forged the sword after driving it into the of his beloved wife. So the idea is that um, the sword is sort of activated by driving into the heart of the person that Azor Ahai loved. And Lenore goes on, there are a few reasons why I have this theory. As I mentioned before, Ice fits as being Lightbringer, and we know that Brienne is roaming around with the sword. Jamie's dream showed two lighted swords with his going out first. Brienne's teacher had to harden her by having her slaughter pigs. Martin has shown their relationship, and we know that he doesn't do anything by accident. We, the audience, have to believe in the incredible love between these two. It's so like Martin to shock common tropes. Everyone is expecting the savior to be a man. And when looking up this crackpot theory, I found that only one other site that vaguely agrees with this. Um, and the legend states, the sword has to be forged in water, a lion's breast, and love. And then... Um, she says, we know Jamie is not going to survive the story and it ain't going to have a happy ending. But this theory allows for Jamie and Brienne before she has to stick him with the pointy end. Um, I have more proof on this theory and be willing to explain more. I should be working on my dissertation, but, you know, priorities. Um, so what do you guys think? Is Brienne Azor? It's like, is Brienne Azor a high? She is on the list. Am I saying of... Azor High correctly? Yeah, I, say, I think that be. that's how I always say it is Azor High. Mm-hmm. She's on the list of possibles, but she's a lot lower than even Jamie. Um, 
I don't think that it's because she's a woman so much as that she doesn't fit um, a lot of the other prophecy criteria. And a little bit of what Lenore is talking about there about the reforging of Lightbringer. Um, I do suspect that Lightfinger, Lightbringer will be will have to be reforged somehow. But anytime you mention these theories, there's always someone who will say, you know, you don't actually have to reforge Lightbringer. Um, Salador Sand talks, I guess, in Clash about about how the original Lightbringer was forged first in what uh, water um, and then the sword broke. And then um, Azor High tried to finish forging it in the heart of a lion and it, the sword still wasn't any good. And then he finally plunged it into his wife's breast. And, and um, Salador Sand makes a point of saying that, that Azor High's wife actually bared her own breast. Basically she was a willing um, sacrifice to create Lightbringer. And you have to feel like George went into the depths of this forging story probably for a reason. It probably will be relevant somehow, but it may may not play out exactly the way that it's discussed. No, but- I, see, I think I mean I think you're right. I think it would be I think it'll be relevant, but I think that as with stories, as with prophecies, they're not necessarily mean meant to be taken literally. They are inexact. So I feel like when you trying to see whether or not someone fits into a certain prophecy and you see bits that may indicate that they don't it's not always um doesn't always definitively mean that they can't be person in the prophecy i think there's so many things that that show jamie and brienne as two parts of a whole so you know they have or you know i think we all assume jamie's gonna get his paw on, on widow's whale soon enough you know, they have two swords that were one. You you know, in the world of ice and fire, they have that legend of the maiden of light and you know, the lion of the night. And, you know, those two came together. And it's so easy to see Jamie and Brienne in, in those shoes, too. I think rather than necessarily ending in murder, which, you know, it's like, God, poor Jamie. Like, both of his major ships, like, end with <laughs> him killing or mm-hmm. getting killed by, like, his lover. Like, God, that was a really shitty fate. Um. <laughs> But, you know, just so much that kind of, I think, is saying that, you know, you bring these two characters together, you bring these two people together, and they, as one, have a very important part to play, whatever it may be. Well, and, you know, and I don't there's, know if the prophecies are just I saying that. There's a lot of discussion. I mean, definitely, Martin likes to play with just the whole concept of prophecy and what it means. But there's also a lot of discussion when it comes to Azor Ahai, just just in the way that, that there are many Azor Ahai theories throughout the world. For instance, in the North, there's the theory of the last, or the, the old story of the last hero, I should say. Um, whereas, yes. you know, the Azor Ahai myth is actually from Essos. That's something that we hear from Mel for the first time and Salador San, who's also a Soci. So, um, you know, like, will there be more than one person who fits this kind of criteria? Will there be several? Um, you know, certainly Danny and John are the prime candidates with maybe Jamie being a kind of a distant third. Um, I, you know, I kind of tend or to think brand, that I mean. brand sometimes is discussed in there. I tend to think it's probably going to be John in the most literal sense, but mm. there may be more than one. And I've always felt with Brienne that she does kind of fit the, some of the ideas of the last hero. When you talk about, you know, like how he, he went up to fight the others and, and like he, he had a company of, of men with him and he had like his dog and his horse and he lost all his men and he loses his horse. He loses his dog. And eventually it's just him. And I was like, man, that sounds like Brienne. You know, it's such yeah. a Brienne kind of story. <laughs> so, I mean, like they, they may definitely be one representation of kind of the Azor Ahai myth. Yeah. It's certainly possible. 
Jamie and Brienne together or, or one of them alone. I just, I mean, I know this is like the shipper talking, but I just don't see them alone as having a story. I think they're, you know, their story is who they are together. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know that I agree with that, but I mean, who knows? I mean, God, God only knows. I mean, even just talking about flaming swords, I mean, people get kind of obsessed with the idea that Jamie has the flaming swords, but you know, John also dreams of having a flaming sword and his is actually mm-hmm. red, which is more like actual light bringer, which is a rot. So, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, like you can't count Jamie out of the Azor high theories um, just because of his dream. But, um, yeah, I, uh, Jamie doesn't completely fit, and Brienne, I think, even fits a little bit less. So there's that. How about that for a discussion? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I guess that- everyone's going to, so basically everyone's going to die. I think we've come to the conclusion. I mean, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Except she's going to live. She goddamn better after all of this. She'll only wish she was dead. Oh, to God. Oh, God. Um, I should mention, we actually did discuss uh, some of this uh, Oathkeeper, Azura High type theory. Oh, God, when was it? It was potentially one of our drunk casts because I do recall us discussing it once. So I don't know if you want to go back over all the episodes and listen, listen to what we had to say then. Feel free. We could probably direct you to Lady Warblade Angel. She probably, she probably has a story she recently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, I think that concludes our podcast. For we're good. I think so. I think we're all really yeah. sad now. I'm oh, so, so depressing. This if you do have any hate mail, like I said, just send it on to Gall and Subterfuge. Well, or if you want to console me in my hour of need, you know, whatever. Send away. <laughs> whatever. Either way. Rob is dead. All righty. <laughs> All right. <laughs> thanks for moderating, Eon. You did a great job. And thanks for being our guest, Daphne. We're always happy to have you back. Yeah, thank you, Daphne. Thanks, Eon. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> right, bye, yeah, everybody. Have a good night, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Good night. Good night. Good night.